0: I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hi, everyone. Something I've felt pretty passionate about along my own journey is making sure to include the perspective from the men, whether it be fathers, grandfathers, or other male caregivers. I'm speaking generally, so don't get mad at me, but I feel as mom's We have an easier time connecting with other moms at therapy, at school, or on social media. I don't attempt to figure out why, but I do know that I have a husband who is a father to a kiddo with complex needs, and his experience is different than mine. I want to make sure that we're both taking care of ourselves individually, however that looks for our family. I'm constantly reading Facebook posts in mom's groups, wishing there was someone for their husbands to talk to or friends he can make that he can relate to in regards to their home life and having a child with health care needs. My next guest I found at my son's graduation from our local birth to three program, Kindering, my favorite place in Seattle. He is the director of the Fathers Network, and he's helping to give a powerful voice to the men who have children with health care needs. Some of his work involves connecting men with each other socially, providing them with resources. He trains them to tell their story and advocate for change and also helps in working to promote inclusion in their communities. There's a lot of information in this next episode, and there's so much more to talk about on the subject. Make sure to check out the Fathers Network and share it with any male caregivers in your life. I'm excited to share my conversation about his work as director of the Fathers Network. So let's just get started. Here's my friend, Louis Mendoza. Luis, you have two children, right? I do. Grown adults now?
1: Uh, grown adults now, yes. In fact, one of them is getting married next month.
0: Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. So your children, I'm assuming, are typically developing.
1: Yes, they are.
0: So how does coming from that background put you into the director platform for the Fathers Network in Seattle?
1: It's a long story. I mean, it's not a long story but it was a long journey. I spent the early part of my career on the corporate side primarily as a corporate trainer and focused on training individuals on how to be supervisors. So, that was the early part of my career and then at one point when my kids uh, were very young, My wife and I traded spots and I became a stay-at-home dad. But at one point when the kids were old enough to be in school full-time, I realized that I had six hours or so of my day where I could be helping out with the family income. So I thought, well, what could I do? And to get around the problem of not having to worry about daycare during summer break and and midwinter break and Christmas break and all those breaks that come along, I decided I would go to work for the school district or would try to go to work for the school district. And it would give me the same holidays and pretty much the same schedule that they had. So, that took care of the babysitter problem.
0: Smart. They're expensive.
1: Yeah, it, it was. And my wife and I had decided early on that we wanted to have one of us be the caregiver and not do the outside caregiver routine. And so, I applied for a job at the school district and they uh, were going to interview me for... I can't even remember what the job was at this time but I wasn't available for the interview because I was going to be out of town, I had a planned vacation. When I got back from that trip, there was a phone call waiting for me that said, we'd like you to come in tomorrow for an interview in um, a special needs contained learning center. And to be perfectly honest, I was very intimidated by that thought. I had no background or experience uh, really with children with special healthcare needs. I really didn't know the classroom situation or had been working in a classroom. So, it was new and intimidating and I interviewed and got the job and did it for 10 years and really liked it. And I liked being involved with the special needs community, uh, really liked working with parents.
0: How old was the age group of the kids that you were dealing with?
1: I was dealing with 4th, 5th, and 6th graders at Woodmore Elementary, North Shore School District. So, while I was there, one of the parents of one of the students that I had introduced me to kindering. And I got to know them And when I left the school district and went to United Way, I missed the special needs community and so started doing some volunteer work at Kindering. And then, long story short, when my predecessor with the Fathers Network retired, uh, I was asked if I wanted to fill the spot. And so that's how I got here.
0: Perfect replacement. They were probably so excited to get you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but, but it's worked out well.
0: Kindering has very good taste in who they employ. Well,
1: that's they do. I'm very impressed with the people that I work with here.
0: I love it. I love the beginning of that. It really means a lot when someone kind of sees it and embraces it and wants to help our community out. I follow several moms groups with kids like mine. And I know a lot of us talk about you know, not knowing what our husbands or what the dads are going through. And you know, we take on this load where we feel like we're kind of alone in it and the dads don't really talk that much and they're not really talking to their friends. And I think that this group that you have is just so great trying to bring them together.
1: Yeah, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to get men to be involved with something like this or to be involved in general, in many cases, and that's not just something that I find that the, with the Father's Network, Kindering finds it almost every other agency that I work with or communicate with has a challenge engaging men. And there's no real good answer on how to, how to engage them. But I'll get to that in a minute. I think your question opens the door to talking a little bit about why the Father's Network was established and what we do. So, is that okay if I go there?
0: Yes, please.
1: Okay. So, the Fathers Network has actually been around since, I believe, 1978, so late 70s. Uh, It was actually created or started as an assignment for a group of graduate students at the UW. And they were given the assignment to create support groups for fathers, grandparents, and siblings who had special needs, someone in their life. And the Fathers Network goes on with the work that I do. Uh, The grandparent thing kind of went away. I hear sometimes that someone's trying to start something up, but I don't know of anything that exists that's really well-organized. And the sibling effort became the sibling support project, which is also at Kindering and is also a very important program. Definitely. uh, to, To really make sure that that their support for the siblings uh, of someone who has special needs because oftentimes they are the ones who will have the longest relationship with that person. So interesting story is that. Two of those graduate students uh, who started the whole thing actually came to work at Kindering and, and managed or directed those efforts. So, my predecessor, Greg Shell, was one of those graduate students and Don Meyer, who uh, ran the Sibling Support Project and just retired last year, uh, was also one of those UW students. Anyway, the program, the Fathers Network became part of Kindering in 1985. There have been... Uh, two or three other directors for me and really the reason that the whole thing started was that there was a need seen to provide or to find a way for for men to engage with other men who have that special needs child in their life. And I'm going to make some real generalizations about men and women. And I'm making this statement now because I will make those generalizations and I know there are exceptions to it. But when I explain things in this generalized format, people seem to understand. When two people have that child uh, or a child, uh, whether the child has special needs or not, uh, dads tend to be a little bit more removed anyway, because in our society, uh, even if it's a situation where both parents are working. It's still primarily the norm that mom is the one who takes kids to school and to the doctor appointments and after-school activities and all those kind of things. I know dads do some of that, but still, it's oftentimes mom. And so, dad is a little bit removed uh, with what's happening with the kids. And then when you add the special health care needs component to it, There's even a little bit more isolation because even though mom and dad are going through the same kind of emotional ups and downs and the good times and the bad times, mom tends to have a, a better social network. And more importantly, she's willing to tap into that network to make a phone call or to see someone and say, I need help. Whether that help is emotional or logistical or whatever, they're willing to make the ask. Men- are much less likely to do that. And so, they begin to get a little isolated because they're not talking to anybody. They're not asking for help. And then you get to the point where men begin to isolate themselves from talking about their kids with other men they know, whether that's a coworker or a family member or a neighbor, a relative, whoever. Because when that person, that other dad said, hey, you know, my kid just learned how to Ride his bike, or got toilet trained, or said his first word, or took his first step—whatever those major milestones are—and uh, then he'll say, "Hey." So tell me about your kid. And the dad of the kids kid is going to say, "Hey, oh my, my daughter, you know, ten years old, but she hasn't rolled over yet. She's not talking." And the dad was the typically developing kid doesn't really know what to say to that. It's It becomes a really awkward moment. And so, the guys tend to begin to try and avoid those awkward moments. And so, it creates even more isolation. So, the opportunity, uh, if it's given to them to meet and and they take it, the opportunity to meet another guy or another group of guys who are going through the same kind of experience with their children and their families, even if the diagnosis is different, can be really, really powerful to know that you're talking to somebody who gets what you're going through, who understands what's happening with the family, has similar challenges, and may be able to offer not just support and, a, and someone who can listen, but might have some resources that would be of help. Uh, can be really, really powerful and really, um, really important for a guy. Cause, cause guys tend to, they want to be problem solvers. They want to appear like they're in control of things. They want to make sure they're taking care of their families, all those kind of things. And eventually they figure out. This situation with their child is not something they can solve. It's not something they can do anything about, but they can go out and get information and get resources and try to find things that are going to make life a little bit easier for them and their families and their children. So, that really was why the Fathers Network was established was to create those supports and those resources for men who have kids with special health care needs. And that's been the crux of the work for many, many years since since 78. Recently we've gotten into a couple of other things. One is uh we've been trying to get dads to be more advocates about what it's like to raise a child with special health care needs and to advocate for changes that would help families in this situation. And we can talk about that a little bit later. I think you mentioned that you might want to talk about the that workshop. Uh, and then the other thing that we really try to get involved with is advocating for equal access to the community for everybody. And by that, I mean that, and I'll speak for myself, you know, if, if I wanted to go out and do something in the community, whether that's go to work or go to a restaurant or go to a store to go shopping, go to a movie, go to a theater, go to a museum, go to a park, that's simply something that I just go and do. But for a lot of families that have kids with special health care needs, they have this sort of mental checklist that they go through really quick that helps them determine, is this something that's going to be worth our time and our money and our effort?
0: Along we- with a phone call, typically we have to call and even check if we can get in. Yeah.
1: Can physically? you get in? Yeah. Um, and what, you know, what accommodations are available if we go, if, you know, cause my, my child needs this and is it going to be something you can offer and provide? And if we go and it's, and, and they don't have a good experience, then we have to leave possibly and, Lose out on whatever money we spent to get in or to do this activity. So, ideally, it would be great to get to the point in our society where everybody is welcome to everything and accommodations are always built in. They're just there. We're not there yet. I think we're probably many decades away from from that. But uh, I, I would like to make sure that the Fathers Network is seen as an organization that promotes and works to make that
0: happen. I love that. That's so important. You know, the ADA has been going on for 30 years and you'd think maybe we would have gotten a little closer to that (laughs) where we are now. But I think the more voices we have behind us, especially from the dad's side, is going to be really impactful to help push those things through.
1: Yeah, especially from the dads. It's one of those situations where mom's voices are heard a lot. When dad's voice is heard, it's somewhat of a surprise. And even if mom and dad are telling the same story, dads say it in a different way. And right or wrong, oftentimes men are simply heard differently in our society.
0: Right. I think as women, we maybe just come from a more you know, emotional sort of stance and not in a bad way. So how do you get these men to sort of come to the father's network and be a part of it? How do they find out about it?
1: As I said in the beginning, it's not easy to engage men. And a lot of the men come to us because their wives or significant others tell them to come. One of the very first men that I met in the network told me that he only came because his wife locked him out of the house and said, you can't come back in until you go to the meeting. And he, you know, he sat on the porch for a while and f- tried to figure out what he could do out in the yard to kill time without going to the meeting. Finally, decided to come to the meeting and he got very involved and, and became a very committed dad to the network and, and helped us with a lot of things, including some of our uh, technical stuff.
0: Sometimes that's what we got to do.
1: That's what you got to do. You got to lock
0: them out sometimes.
1: (laughs) that, That was kind of an extreme example, but it was the first one that I encountered. And so, I would like to tell that story. As I said before, a lot of times it's mom who goes out to schools and appointments and so forth. And so, a lot of times it's mom who sees the flyers that are at the desk at the doctor's office or if they're coming to some place like Kindering to get services, they'll see information uh, on the in the lobby about services. A lot of times, we have a family newsletter that goes out from kindering, but a lot of times, it's mom's email address that we have. We don't necessarily have dad's email address. And so, mom's getting that information. And so, we hope that she sees information about not just the Father's Network, but other things, but specifically for the Father's Network and passes it on to dad to say, hey, did you know that there's this group that works with dads?
0: Right. I kind of wish I would have known about this in the beginning because it was my email address and you know, I wasn't really looking through this to find resources for my husband.
1: <laughs> yeah. When you get that when you first get that packet, whether it's at Kindering or someplace else, when you first get your diagnosis and you and you get that referral to someone that can help and you and you take that step and you engage with that organization, uh, you're oftentimes given some folder or booklet or pamphlet or some set of information. And at the very beginning. And it's there's so much that's so overwhelming at that point that you just don't look at all that stuff.
0: No, no. You get a pamphlet from 10 different places at once while you're trying to go through this emotional whirlwind that I'm pretty sure I never opened anything.
1: Yeah. And and that's a really common experience. So, we know the information's there, but we know that people are just busy with life and just trying to to maintain and get through things. And um, that's why in the family newsletter, there's generally a little section about the father's network, um, and so you know, we try to repeat the offer in in ways and get it out in in different formats. But it's just something that people are busy, and it's just hard to have them look at that.
0: It is. I found you on Facebook, so posts on your kindering Facebook page <laughs> super helpful.
1: Good, and then we and we have our own Father's Network Facebook page. Uh, but back to you know, how do you engage dads? Um, a really difficult thing to do. Agencies in general just need to pay attention to how they're offering information to families. Is it always an invitation to a mom? Is it a, a mom and kids group? Or is it a you know parents group? There's a whole conversation we can have about how agencies try to engage men as opposed to how they generally engage women. But you know, a lot of men, like I said before. Uh, They want to be problem solvers and take care of things. And part of engaging the dads is making sure that it's something that whatever you're offering is something that they feel will be not necessarily of benefit to the dad, but will be of benefit to the child of the dad. Because dads will say, you know, I'm not going to come if it's just about me, but if you offer something that's going to help me help my child, I'll be there. Interesting. But there's no, there's no one answer to this. There's, um, we, we try to do things in different ways with the fathers. I, I mentioned having opportunities for dads to meet each other. Sometimes that can be one on one. We have support groups. If you went to our website and clicked under, um, Father's Network chapters, you'd see a list there of where we have either chapters or someone in the state that is there simply to be a resource for someone that I connect with. For instance, I recently connected with a mom who the couple is living in Yakima. They have a new child who has some some, uh, serious needs and to meet those needs, they're going to be moving to Auburn to be closer to Seattle Children's. Mom's going to be here first with the child. Dad's still in Yakima and mom is saying dad could really use some support. We happen to have a guy in Yakima who's very connected in the community, knows a lot about resources and knows some dads there. And so, I connected the mom, the dad with this gentleman in Yakima. We don't necessarily have a group meeting in Yakima, but we have a resource there. So, we have some places that meet, some places that don't, but we also do social activities because a lot of time it's easier for men to engage in a family environment. So, if we do a, say, let's say a camp out and the entire family can come to the camp out and then men just start talking with other men just because they're there and Absolutely. you start talking to people. And in that way, you find out about resources that are available or we've had people at campouts who find out they live in the same town, not too far from each other. And then it gives them the opportunity to connect socially outside of the father's network.
0: Yeah, after I met you a couple weeks ago, I was so excited and I called Casey and I was telling him about it and I could tell at first he was like, "Eh, yeah, group thing, therapy." And then I was like, "No, but sometimes they go and watch football and it's just hanging out with dudes that like know what you're talking about." And he was like, "Oh, okay. I can get behind that." Yeah,
1: it's it's a lot more comfortable. Yeah. Uh, and then we do have some activities that are just for men. Like we have a Fathers Network conference coming up in November and uh, that's just a, a nice environment where it's just all guys and they they all know that they're in the same general boat and they can exchange information and talk and it's just a great time to meet and talk with other guys but also at the same time hear an impactful keynote speaker or attend breakout sessions on something that's going to be uh, helpful, hopefully, to the dad and his family.
0: So that brings me to like the speeches, the personal story workshop that you have for the men. Uh Tell me a little bit about that. Is that like at every meeting that you have or? No. How does that work?
1: So, I think you're referring to the workshop we do called Telling Your Story with a Purpose. That's it. This is a workshop that actually was developed by a couple of people at Seattle Children's. And I've sort of taken it over and I now present it when requested around the state. And so, I will get requests from some of the ARCs, like the Arc of King County or Arc of Spokane. Or I will get requests from uh, parent-to-parent groups. And when we first started, the the idea was that we wanted to have this be just for men. And the reason that we focused on men is one, because we're the father's network. That makes sense. But also because when... I get requests and a lot of other agencies get requests. We kind of experience the same thing. We'll get requests from any number of schools at the UW and they'll say, can you find some parents to come and talk to our students, doctors, nurses, social workers, teachers? These people are going to be out there as professionals working with these families who have kids with special needs and they need to have some information about what that's going to be like. So, can you find someone to come and talk? I would say, 95% of the time, easily over 90% of the time, it's mom who comes. And that's great. I think it's wonderful that moms are out there talking about this and letting people know and informing the public and students. But it means that that male perspective that we talked about before is not heard. Right. And it really does make a difference when it comes from the male perspective. It does. So... We started out with the idea of, oh, great, let's just make this for men so that we can have men in the room, they'll all be together and then we'll have an army of men that we can call on so that when I get a request, I can just send out an email to this army of men that we've trained and say, hey, can one of you do this? Hasn't worked out that way. As we've said, it's just hard to engage men. And so, we had to cancel the first few workshop attempts because we would have two people sign up. We'd have two men. And so we opened it up to moms and dads because I would rather have a group of eight people, six of them being women and two of them being men and actually train some parents than to not have a workshop because we couldn't get enough guys. The workshop takes parents through a process to get them to engage in advocating for something that they feel strongly about that affects not just their family, but affects a lot of other families and to do that to a decision maker and to do that within two to three minutes because oftentimes that's all the time you have. Especially if you go to, let's say, the legislature and you're talking in front of a, a panel. Oftentimes, there's green, yellow, red light system and when the red light comes on, you're done and they move on. And so, you need to be able to do it very quickly. The process can be used for other things. Uh, so, if you wanted to have a go out and just inform people about what it's like to have a child with special healthcare needs, it can be used for that, but the process is built with the idea of advocacy to a decision maker in a very short amount of time. So, what we do is we have them think about, and and we know that they're in a training session and when they actually do this in real life, the, the topic that they pick in the training session may not be what they actually talk about when they go do this, but we have them think about challenge or problem that they're facing at the moment or that they have faced and then think about how this – does this challenge actually affect other families or is it simply something that's affecting them? Is it – because we, we want to get away from the personal advocacy and get into something like systems advocacy, making sure that it's a, a something that's going to affect a lot of people. And then we have them think about, you know, what is it that needs to change and what in this problem needs to change?
0: Speaking for solutions.
1: Yeah, and trying to be really specific about it. So that when you go to talk to somebody, you have a very, very specific ask. And then we have them think about who is it that, that has the power to make that change so they can figure out who the decision maker is that they need to talk to.
0: I think men would be very good at getting their point across pretty quickly.
1: <laughs> yes and no. I should ask you why you think that. But Well,
0: I guess it's probably just because I'm married to an attorney and he's very, <laughs> did it, did it, did it. <laughs>
1: okay. One of the things that we talk about is we want The reason it's called telling your story with a purpose is we want them to tell their story. We try to get them away from using something like pie charts and a lot of data because people, when they hear that information, they're one, they might just click back away because they don't want the data is kind of, I don't understand the data. Or then they begin to think, do I agree with this data? Do I not agree with the data? And maybe getting ready to you know, do a, a, a counterpoint with somebody on, on the data. But if you tell your story to somebody, the, the idea that we try to convey to people is if you can tell your story and make your case in such a way that when this person who's in charge of making this, this decision goes home at night and, and at the, around the dinner table, they say, you know, I met this mom or this dad today and they told me this amazing story and I can't get it out of my head. I want to share it with you. That's what we want to get to. We want to have them be so impactful that this person that they're talking with, whatever story they're telling, it makes an emotional connection with them.
0: I love that. It's some organized vulnerability. Yeah. Give it that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we work through the process. We You know, we have them... Really, be specific about what they want to talk about. You know, what is what is the ask that they want to make? And we have them practice this, and and we tell them up front. You know, when you leave this workshop, you're not going to be good at this. Uh, you, you, it takes practice, and it takes doing it over and over and over again. And we show them a video of a dad making his presentation, and it's actually a, I think, a fairly powerful message that he conveys. And oftentimes, we get people who tear up a little bit at it, but it's almost five minutes long, so it's too long. What's really hard is getting people to be focused on the one thing they want to say and telling that one thing because for these families, a lot of these families, they have been through so much they have experienced so much with their child and with all the systems that they have to deal with to support and help their child that it's a mo, it's an emotional journey. And they, they've got so much to say that if they allow themselves to get off on a tangent and not say the thing they came in prepared to say, they get lost and they lose their audience and they lose their message. And so getting them to practice and to really be specific about what they want to do is the hardest thing that we have to deal with in the workshop. And it just does take practice. When we show that video to them about this dad making his presentation, what they see is something that we recorded after it could have been at least a dozen takes. And he kept getting his message smoother and smoother and more refined and more refined and and having less and less notes. And it just takes that same kind of practice to get to the point where you can deliver this very smoothly.
0: Sounds like a class I need to take.
1: <laughs> I'd love to have you in a class sometime. <laughs> so, that's what, that's what the workshop's about.
0: Okay. So, the workshop is separate from your father's network. It's like a side love project.
1: Uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, the three things we do are connecting dads, Helping parents advocate and uh, working for inclusion in the community. And so, this is the piece. This is the second piece. This is how we help the parents to advocate.
0: Okay. Let's go back to your father's network. Okay. Let's go back to some of the situations. When, you, when a fathers come in or they call you or they email you uh-huh. and they're looking for a resource – What happens next? Do they come in and chat with you alone? Do they get invited to an outing? Is there a group setting?
1: It depends on the dad and what he needs or the the man and what he needs. Any of the things that you just mentioned could happen. It really depends. If they want to talk to me one-on-one in person, by phone, by email, I'm happy to do that. If they need a resource, if they say, I just need to know X, I can email them information. I can direct them to some resources that they can research on their own or read on their own. If they say, hey, I really want to connect with this group in Bellevue that I've heard about. Can you help me get invited to, to know when they're meeting and then I can show up? And so, it could be any number of things. Uh, sometimes a, a lot of guys make a connection to us through the social things. So, we'll get the social information out and they'll come to that And that's how that's their first connection. I probably should mention how social media works into this. And I don't have any proof of this, but I've talked to a number of dads about it. And just my observation has been that social media has had an impact on how often we get men to come to meetings. And I'll explain it this way. Before there was social media and a dad got a diagnosis for his child, he would say, okay, I don't know. Anything about what this is? I don't know what autism is or whatever this diagnosis is, but I need information. And I hear there's this group of guys, and I'm a, they they might have some information that would be helpful to me. I'm not going because I'm looking for friendship. I don't want to hang out with these guys. I just want to come in, ask them my questions, and get out. And so they would come to a meeting, and they would ask their questions, get their information, maybe find out these guys are good, could be a good resource. And so, I think I'll come back to a couple of meetings and then they get comfortable and they begin to share what's happening with them and they connect with these guys. And so, they come back and they stay with the group and then they begin to socialize with these guys outside of the network. Nowadays, dad gets diagnosed and says, okay, I don't know what this is. I need information. I'm going to go to the internet because that's where the information is. And so they go to the information, the internet and they get all the information they need or think they need. And then the other thing that happens online is that you can join a support group. And so for guys who don't want to appear vulnerable or don't want to appear like they don't know what they're doing, they can be anonymous and they can ask their questions and get answers that way. So it's changed a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's really important.
1: Yeah. And, and, and for the, for the people who come and meet and talk and learn in person, they find so much value out of that. They think that's the way to go. I mean, that's, that's really the thing that, that worked for them.
0: That's their avenue.
1: That's their avenue. And for yeah. others, uh, it's not. And so, you know, we try to accommodate everybody, you know, where they are.
0: Yeah. There's no pressure for them to be one way or the other on how they there's connect no with pressure. someone.
1: There's no yeah. pressure at all to, there's no pressure to come to a group. If you come to a group, there's no pressure to speak. It's, You know, we, we just want the guys to come be comfortable, take away what they need and uh, continue to be engaged in whatever way they want to be.
0: Yeah, actually, I feel like the moms could get around that sort of idea a little more too, rather than just kind of going to mom's groups. Ours is kind of ours is kind of like that still. So what kind of change do you see in the dads? Like when they first show up, are they a little standoffish? Are the ones that come really open to it, like you said, the ones who need that setting? How do you see the dads sort of change over time as they're involved in this network, meeting all these other dads and families?
1: Again, it's very individualized. You will get some dads who come to a meeting or come to a social activity because they're pushed. And so, they're not really feeling like they want to be there and it's it's a little bit uncomfortable for them, which is perfectly understandable, I think. To be perfectly honest, I would be hesitant to do this myself if I was in this, this situation, going and meeting with a bunch of guys and I would assume it's going to be a little bit touchy-feely and yes. I probably wouldn't go. Sure. That's me. So, you have that dad who is there because he's been pushed to be there and it will take him a little bit longer to uh, get comfortable, to loosen up, begin to talk about what's happening with his story. And then you have the other dad who is on the other extreme, who is just really, really willing to engage. And, and if we didn't exist, he probably would invent a father's network. <laughs> you know? And so, you have the very two extremes and you have all the guys in the middle. How they change will depend on Uh, on the individual dad for that. What we hope is that the dad who feels that he's been pushed to be there, that he stays long enough to engage with at least one other dad, uh, make a personal connection, get what he needs out of the meeting, whether that's talking or whether that's just listening and getting resources, whatever he needs, he gets and he feels it's of some value and would come back. And then you have the other dad who's, you know, gung ho and willing to get started. And, and, you know, he's talking to me saying, Hey, you know, we, we need to start a new group or we need to, you know, can we do something on social media? And he's throwing out ideas to me and we see what we can do. I think if I was to say, if there's something that applies to every dad, I, I don't know that I can, but I, I guess I would say that they all hopefully get to the point where they appreciate the fact that they know that there's, a group of men out there that they can connect with if they need to connect with
0: them. Yeah. I know a situation that I was in once in the beginning, I avoid a lot of social situations too, because it's just kind of hard to be around other people's kids sometimes or be in a situation where I'm going to either not get talked to or I'm going to get too many questions and I'm going to get emotional about it. But I went to a birthday party and every Child that was there had some sort of diagnosis, some sort of disability. And it was the first time, like as Ford's mom, where I felt sort of free in a situation. And I think for men, yeah, if they meet even just one person, even if it is just online and they have that person that they can message about what their kid did or didn't do that day, it's so, it's such a relief to just have someone, you know, kind of be there in solidarity with you and understand without having to make it a big thing.
1: Exactly. And you know, there are other programs besides my program. Uh, for instance, the Ark of King County has a parent-to-parent program. As part of their parent-to-parent program, they have a, an offering, a program called Helping Parents, which is basically a group of parents who have been trained to be mentors or to be one-on-one connections with somebody. So, if a dad was to call the Helping Parent Program and say, you know, I'd like to be involved, I'd like to meet another parent, they'd get some basic information, uh, age of the child, diagnosis, so forth, and try to connect that parent with another parent who is in a similar situation. And then they can connect by phone. They can connect in person. It can be a short relationship or a long relationship. Those kind of, that, that kind of opportunity also exists. And, and I can help depending on what the dad tells me he needs. I might say, you know, you really might want to try talking with the folks at Helping Parent or some other program. I'm not in the business of competing for dads. I simply want to help them. And so, if, if what I'm offering isn't the right thing for them, I'll refer them somewhere else.
0: Which is great because it's really hard to find particular resources in this world. So you seem to know all of them for the men. And that's so helpful. (laughs) I don't know if I know all of them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's so many different options that they have. You know, you can kind of take a guy, get his personality, where he wants to go, what he wants to do, and kind of direct him, even if it isn't with you. Yeah,
1: I try. As I do the work, I'm finding more and more organizations around the state and in other parts of the country, and in fact, the world who are trying to do this work. And it's fascinating to to talk with them and know that they're out there. One of the things I'd like to do somewhere down the road is somehow connect us all. The Fathers Network at one point had somewhat of a national presence. It retrenched, I think there were some budget cutbacks and we're now the Washington State Fathers Network with a focus just here. But it would be great to at least be able to connect these other organizations and men doing the work with each other so that we can copy a program that somebody has instead of reinventing something.
0: Right. Inspiring dads in other states, like you said, to maybe start up their own group, their own network. Can you tell me about some of your future goals with the Fathers Network? Like, where do you want to leave this legacy?
1: Good question. There's a lot of things that I'd like to do. I think I'm always interested in expanding the network to provide either more resources in other parts of the state. So, having a, a dad in another part of the state, like we we have a guy in Pullman who doesn't have a group necessarily that meets, but he's the guy in Pullman and so, I can refer dads to him. I, I mentioned the guy in Yakima earlier. Uh, it would be nice to have other groups in other parts of the state. Uh, we recently opened up a, uh, a chapter in Ellensburg. We have a dad there who's trying to get people to join him to meet. I think right now it's just him and one other guy, but they are meeting. I think they meet once a month and we're trying to get more guys to join him. So, expanding the network within the state is is one thing. I would like to expand the network into immigrant communities and communities of color. Uh, I think a lot of those communities are underserved. And uh, for a lot of those communities, uh, as much as we talked about how um, society hasn't changed that much in general and it's still mom who does certain things and dad who does certain things. And uh, a lot of other communities, those roles are really entrenched and the way that children with special needs are perceived or accepted or not accepted are very, very strongly entrenched. And so, there are some additional barriers, barriers that need to be worked through in those areas, but I know the need is there and I'd like to find some way to impact that.
0: Yeah. I think what you're doing, I mean, social media, especially, and just kind of pushing this out there further and further and having people sharing this network and that it even exists is going to be really powerful. Yeah. And then the other things
1: that I think I'd like to do are expanding the, the work that we've recently started, which is the training men or parents to be advocates and doing more to promote the idea of inclusion in the community.
0: So, how over the 15 years or so or even longer, since you've been sort of working in this community of people with disabilities and complex medical needs, how has it changed you as a dad or even just your perspective when you are out and about? Well,
1: it, it has changed me. It, I think it changed me as a dad when I was, when my kids were younger and they were in school and I was working in a school in a special needs classroom. I think it helped me to provide my children with a different perspective on, or with a perspective on a community that they may not have engaged with otherwise. And you know, getting them to, for a while I was doing coaching with Special Olympics and I would take my kids along. And, and so they got to interact with some of the athletes. And they still see them around town where we live and they still say hi to them. So, it helped me, I think, give my children a different exposure. So important. And and, and that happened because I had a different exposure and I realized that this was something that, that was important. When I left the school district, I went to work for United Way and... My primary role there was training people of color to serve on the boards of nonprofit organizations. And so that led me to connect with a lot of people who do work in the area of diversity. Now, in working with this community, the special needs community, um, it's broadened my perspective on the definition of diversity because when I was working in, in that field and when I talk to people who do the work either for corporations or for the government, their focus is so much on issues regarding race and gender and sexual orientation that the issues regarding people with disabilities or special health care needs is kind of way down the bottom of the list if it even makes the list. Yes, And so, it's just given me a different perspective on diversity and the need for inclusion for everyone. And that's, I think, made a real impact on me personally.
0: It is definitely the most overlooked and largest minority that we have.
1: Yeah. And you'll talk to people who will talk about social justice issues and they they always bring up the three that I mentioned, you know, race, gender, and sexual orientation, but uh, in terms of housing and employment and education and access to the community, social justice issues for people with disabilities and special health care needs, it's just not being paid attention to. And it really is a social justice issue.
0: I I really want to know sort of what your most favorite part has been so far or one of your most impactful, memorable stories that you've heard.
1: A memorable story that I like to tell from the father's network. And it's not one that I was there for, but it's one that's been handed down to me from dads who've been in the network. It's the story of a dad who was coming to group meetings for a while and then stopped coming. And one day he showed up and he said, the only reason I'm here is because my son has not been toilet trained. And nobody that I know understands how important that is to me, except for you guys. So I'm here to share that, and I may not come back again. But if I need to, I know you're there, and that's I think really wraps up in one story the importance of men connecting with men.
0: That story makes me so emotional every time I think about it. That makes me emotional too. <laughs> it's such a it's such a real real experience being with parents. That, yes, you know, I agree. get it.
1: So the second part of your question, sort of my favorite part of the job. I think the favorite part really is. Just the opportunity that I have to meet people and help them connect, whether that's connecting with another dad, whether it's connecting with a resource, whatever it is. I, I think a really good example of that is the fact that two or three weeks ago at the kinder graduation, I met one of your father-in-laws, John, and that led to meeting you, which led to this broadcast. And as I mentioned before, I'm meeting with John and maybe there's some things that uh, he and I could work on or things that I could offer to him in support. And perhaps uh, we might get your husband involved with some things. So just making the connections and meeting people. That's my favorite thing.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I remember John was like, there's a dad's table. And I dropped everything and I ran over there because (laughs) it's hard. I don't, you know, I didn't know this was part of kindering. I just followed it on Facebook and that's, I love it. And I think John's going to be a really valuable ally for you and Casey as well.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping that we can get both of them to come to the conference.
0: Definitely. Thank you for everything that you're doing for dads and for families and for people in the disabled community in general. Well,
1: Thank you for podcasts you're putting out and all the work that I know you're going to do to connect people to uh, resources through your podcast. I think it's, uh, it's a good way for people to connect with information.
0: It is. Especially when we're all busy and we always have our headphones in. I think yes. this, is, this, is a, this is a very attainable way to get information without spending any extra time on it at home or whatnot. So, yeah. Thanks, Louis. Okay. I really appreciate you being here and talking to me today. And I look forward to connecting with you many times.
1: I enjoyed it. And um, I'm hoping we can, like you said, connect some more.
0: Definitely. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, Please share this show with your people, and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick me up, Ford's got you.